You're listening to a podcast by Lance Lambert Ministries. For more information on this ministry, visit lancelambert.org. In this episode, Lance shares the reason why giving is essential in our walk with the Lord. Let's listen. We turn to the second letter uh, of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians and chapter 8 <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 8 Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, how that in much proof of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For according to their power, I bear witness, yea, and beyond their power, they gave of their own accord, beseeching us with much entreaty in regard of this grace and the fellowship in the ministering to the saints. And this, not as we had hoped, but first they gave their own selves to the Lord and to us through the will of God, insomuch that we exhorted Titus that as he had made a beginning uh, before, so he would also complete in you this grace also. But as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by way of commandment, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity also of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might become rich. And herein I give my judgment, for this is expedient for you, who were the first to make a beginning a year ago, not only to do, but also to will. But now complete the doing also, that as there was the readiness to will, so there may be the completion also of your ability. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according as a man hath, not according as he hath not. For I say not this, that others may be eased and ye distressed, but by equality, your abundance being a supply at this present time for their want, that their abundance also may become a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. Chapter 9. Verse uh, 1. For as touching the ministering to the saints, it's superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your readiness, of which I glory on your behalf to them of Macedonia, that Archaia hath been prepared for a year past, and your zeal hath stirred up very many of them. But I have sent the brethren that our glory on your behalf may not be made void in this respect, that, even as I said, ye may be prepared, lest by any means if there come with me any of Macedonia and find you unprepared, we, 
that we say not ye, uh, should be put to shame in this confidence. I thought it necessary, therefore, to entreat the brethren that they would go before unto you and, may, and make up beforehand your, afore, a promise, your afore-promised bounty, that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not of extortion. But this I say, he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Let each man do according as he hath purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound unto you, that ye, having always all sufficiency in everything, may abound unto every good work. As it is written, he hath scattered abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness abideth forever. And he that supplieth seed to the sower, and bread for food, shall supply and multiply your seed for sowing, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, ye being enriched in everything unto all liberality, which worketh through us thanksgiving to God. For the ministration of this service not only filleth up the measure of the wants of the saints, but abound us also through many thanksgivings unto God seeing that through the proving of you by this ministration, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession unto the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution unto them and unto all, while they themselves also with supplication on your behalf long after you by reason of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Now let's just bow together in a further word of, uh, of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want now to bow in thy presence and to acknowledge simply and sincerely that apart from thee, apart from the person of the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. Neither in speaking nor in hearing. But our beloved Father, thou hast said in thy word, but all things are of God. And we look to thee that this night we shall experience everything in the speaking and in our hearing to be of thyself. Touch the speaking, Lord, that it may be truly as an oracle from thyself. And touch our hearing that we may hear what thou art saying to us, not only as a people, but each one of us individually, the way thou art applying thy word, perhaps in different ways to different ones. But Lord, we may hear thy voice and we may be obedient. Help us, we pray, in this whole matter. We commit ourselves now to thee which, with much thanksgiving in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Now I have been asked to speak about um, uh, giving and this morning I began uh, to say something about this matter, these two marvelous uh, chapters in this um, letter uh, of Paul to the church at Corinth. So practical, uh, these chapters, all to do with helping the saints 
in Jerusalem who at that time were in desperate need. And the apostle was seeking to um, inform and instruct the churches in their uh, duty and responsibility toward one another, not only toward folks who'd gone out from that particular um, uh, company of believers, but their responsibility to other companies of believers to help them when they were in need. His point was that if one company is in great need due to famine or due to uh, economic conditions, uh, due to... Um, uh, uh, outside uh, pressures and, uh, and other companies are not, then those companies have a responsibility before God to help their less uh, fortunate brethren, their more afflicted uh, brethren. But this whole matter is not just a question of giving money, although in fact the, the, this whole passage is tied to the collecting of money for a particular need amongst God's people in a particular place. But when we really look at it, we discover that this whole matter, uh, according to the Apostle uh, Paul, is not just a matter of giving money. Uh, it is a matter of spiritual character. It is something far far deeper uh, than just a parting with a certain amount of money. Now this morning we started to talk about this whole matter as a key to everything, key to spiritual life, key to salvation, key to fullness, a key to worship, a key to service, a key to the birth and the uh, building up, the development and the completion of the church. All these things, this matter of giving, is a major key to all of this. It's not just some small matter, some aside, but something which is fundamental. It lies at the very heart of the gospel. Now, I don't want to go over what we've said this morning, or we shall never be able to cover what we uh, want to cover this evening. But I do want to take up um, the last point I was making uh, this morning about the nature of giving. What does the word of God mean by giving? Most believers immediately attach to the word giving as soon as they hear it or as soon as they read it, money. <clears throat> they jump to the conclusion that giving is only a matter of the giving of money. But in fact, the word of God goes much onto a much uh, deeper level than merely the giving of uh, money. The giving of money, it is true, is a symptom. In other words, if people do not give generously and liberally, they have not given themselves to God. It is impossible to know God and not be a giver. It is impossible to walk with God and not be a giver. It is impossible to obey God and not be a giver. So in that sense, the giving of money uh, has, is in fact a symptom of something much deeper. It is the evidence of something much deeper. 
There were three things about the nature of giving. Um, the first two we dwelt on a little this morning. The first is, you are to give yourself. And the book says very clearly in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or your spiritually intelligent worship. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. So this matter of giving is simply this. God does not want your money. Never think that God is after your money. God is after you. It's you he wants, not your money. You must not get into the habit of thinking that God is hard up. Uh, that somehow or other God needs the little that you could give in order that his work advance and all. God is able, he says in one place, look here, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. Now in actual fact, the cattle on a thousand hills belong to various farmers. <laughs> I mean, from a human point of view, they belong to various farmers. It's all very well for the Lord to say, take the British Isles, every head of cattle in the British Isles belongs to me, but in actual fact from the human point of view it belongs to this farmer or that farmer or this combine or that combine or whatever else. But God says it all belongs to me. If I were hungry I would not need to tell you for all that is in the world is mine. Now you see what God wants is not your money and he doesn't even now and again want a little parcel of your time and energy, as if once a week you will give a little bit of your energy and your time to God. And that will satisfy him. You say, oh, I'm so glad for that. whole thing would have collapsed without that little bit of your energy. God can do without you. If you are not prepared to really devote yourself to the Lord, the Lord will find others who will devote themselves entirely. This is the whole history of the work of God all the way down to the years. If a people would not yield themselves to God and give themselves holy, he would warn them and challenge them and warn them and challenge them and warn them and challenge them. But when finally they would not, he would just let them die and turn again to some new work altogether where he would find men and women who were 100% devoted to himself. It's not just a portion of your time God wants or a little bit of your energy that God wants or a couple of your talents that God wants or a little bit of your money that God wants. God wants you. And he wants you as a living sacrifice. Now, as I said this morning, sacrifices are not in the habit of getting up from the altar and walking off. Once they're on the altar and have been slain, they're finished. And they go up in smoke. Now this may seem to be a very total claim of God upon your life and my life. But it is total. And it is the heart of the gospel. If any man would come after me, let him give up all right to himself. Let him deny himself, is how the old version put it. Let him give up all right to himself. Take up his cross and follow me. 
a person who took up his cross in the days in which Jesus spoke was not a person who was going to live to see parties. A person who was going to live to have hijinks and frolics. They hadn't even got any time for family life. They had one short hour in which to bear that cross from the place they were sentenced to the place of their execution. Their natural life was over. They had no rights. They couldn't claim a single right. Their life was over. Now, Jesus did not say this as some sort of little extra, some little um, appendage to the gospel, uh, some little sort of um, uh, uh, addition, as if he was saying, now, the great thing is to get saved. The great thing is to make your choice for me. The great thing is to, is to decide for me. And then when you've got your sins forgiven, there is just another matter. Um, if you really want to help, take up your cross and follow me. Of course, people have devalued this whole thing. There are people who've got the idea that a headache is a cross. People speak of their migraine headache as my cross. People speak of an arthritic hip as their cross. Now, these things may be afflictions, but they do not come within the category of what the Lord Jesus meant when he said, let him give up all right to himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He that loseth his life for my sake and the gospel, the same shall find it. He that preserves his life or seeks to save it, the same shall lose it. Now, the point I'm just seeking to make is that God wants you. He wants you as a living sacrifice. It's not that he will not save you if you will not be a living sacrifice, but I will tell you this, that if you and I hold back from 100% commitment to our Lord Jesus, our Christian lives are of all lives the most joyless, the most defeated, the most meaningless sometimes, the most uh, aimless, the most powerless. God has never made provision for an in-between. As far as God is concerned, the gospel is this. You cannot save yourself if you prayed for a thousand years. Or if you wept and wept and wept for seven days on end, you will not save yourself. Not if you do all kinds of good works and penances will you save yourself. There is only one who can save you, and that is the Lord Jesus. And he has died in your place to save you. But having said that, you being saved by his grace alone must give yourself without condition and without reservation to him. Now this matter, I say, is very important. And the second thing is this, that you can only give what already belongs to God. 
You may have five cars, two homes, one yacht, an aeroplane, and I don't know what else. But it still belongs to God. It is God that brought you to birth. God that gave you natural talent. God that watched over the genetic history that has produced your personality. God that has watched over the circumstances that have brought you success. In one single moment, it could all be taken away by a heart attack. In one single moment, God could remove everything. And is this exactly, not exactly what we understand in Daniel, when God said to one of the greatest emperors and autocrats of all time, Nebuchadnezzar, God brought that man, having raised him up to such a position, he brought him down so that his nails grew as long as talons, like birds' talons, like great claws, and his hair became matted and was full of dew because he slept in the fields. He went mad. until God gave him back his sanity and Nebuchadnezzar issued one of the greatest state decrees ever issued in history when he recognized Daniel's God as the living God of the whole earth. Now, God actually, you cannot give anything to God that he hasn't given you. <laughs> so let's get out of our heads secondly that um, this is mine, this is God's this is mine, this is God's this is mine, this is God's I will today give the Lord two pounds the rest is mine I will give the Lord during this week one hour of my time the rest is mine I will give the Lord a portion of my energy the rest is mine that's the third thing you are stewards, not owners. Now, I'm not talking to those of you who are not Christians. I'm talking to those who are Christians, those who are born of God's Spirit, those who are saved through the grace of God. If you have had such an experience of the saving power of God, then you are not your own. You are bought with a price. That is written into your very being. It's not only that all that you have naturally has been given you. And you cannot give God anything that he did not first give you. But you are now not even an owner. You are a steward. And in a steward, it is required that he be found faithful. In other words, he is accountable. He is responsible. There is coming a day when you will not face the judgment of God that the whole world will face that does not know God as not saved because that judgment the Lord Jesus has borne in himself and you have been delivered from it. But you will face the, the uh, reward seat, if you like, uh, of our uh, Lord Jesus, of the Messiah. And you will be required to give account. God will say to you, now what did you do? You had such and such and such and such and such and such and I watched over your circumstances and this and this and this and you were there in Halford House and you had very special times there and, and I revealed a lot to you in that company. Now you have a special responsibility. How did you discharge that responsibility? 
You are accountable. The Lord will want to know exactly how, because it is very important in the age to come. God is not going to give people responsibility over much greater things unless he has found that you learned to be faithful in the uh, responsibility you had in smaller things. Now, this whole matter of giving, then, is tremendously important. The nature of giving, if we could only see it, it's not that I am giving something to God, and God ought to be very thankful. You know, the idea is, he's in my debt. I gave him some of my hard-earned cash. I, I, I hope he remembers this. Um, I, I've spent for a couple of years, an hour, uh, once a week doing so and so. I, I, I mean, others don't do it. And I hope he realizes what a, a sacrifice this has been on my part. There's no such thing as sacrifice in this matter. I think one day if we turn around to the Lord Jesus and said, oh, what a sacrifice you made when you gave yourself for us, I think the Lord may well say, sacrifice? No, 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 I loved you so much. I don't call it sacrifice. I call it service. The fact is it was sacrifice. But he doesn't trumpet it. A sacrifice, oh, such unworthy, so mean, so ugly, so sinful, and I suffered so much. But because he loves you, as far as he's concerned, it's service. That is giving. Now, surely everyone in this room has learned something about giving. You must be a very mean and cramped person if you have never ever given something and got a wonderful feeling. Can you ever remember giving something that really gave you more pleasure? Well, you're all looking at me in a terrible stony way. I have <coughs> no idea if all of you are unconverted in this matter, but I mean, um, I mean, can't you remember um, something that you actually gave that gave you more pleasure than anything you received? There are things somehow that you've given. Generally speaking, it's always been love. See, the, 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 there's no pleasure in something that's a duty. In fact, as we let go of it, we think, oh, I hope this is being recorded somewhere. <laughs> you know, we're letting go of something and sort of thinking, I hope someone in heaven, some angel is busy scribing away and putting in the book, nine o'clock on such and such a date, so-and-so gave five pounds. And it hurt them. <laughs> When you really love, you give, and you get great pleasure and great joy out of giving. Just because it is the nature of love to give. So, you see, when we talk about giving, we're not trying to stir you up to keep a set of regulations or some uh, 
uh, duties that are burdensome and wearisome. We're throwing you back onto spiritual character, to a reassessment of your spiritual character. Do you love the Lord so much? And do you love those who are born of him so much that you are a giver of time, of energy, of talent, of money, of yourself. Now, I would like to say something about the principle uh, in giving. It is a, a marvelous principle. I well remember when I first grasped this principle. I was then, I think, about 18, 17 or 18, and I remember it very, very well. I, I had never understood anything about giving until that point when in listening in the Bournemouth in a crowded meeting to the suffering of the Slavic Christians, my heart was touched with such love for them. And I had never experienced such a thing before. I felt as if I was touched by a love that wasn't my love, that was painful and powerful. And I remember the collection going round and I had enough money to get a ticket. I was in the Air Force at that time, I remember. And I had enough money to get back to London where I had uh, whatever it was. What did they used to call them? A pass or whatever it was. A travel warrant, that's right. Um, from there. But I had to get back from Bournemouth to London. And I remember thinking, what shall I give? What shall I give? And I thought, now how much have I got? As the plate began to make its journey down the row in front of me. So my heart began. I thought, now what shall I? I thought, I know. I'll give, I'll give five pounds. So I was fumbling away. Getting, now I do must remember, I'd never really ever given. I'd always received. Um, this was really the first um, uh, thing for me to give. And I, I fumbled in there. And then I felt as if the Lord said to me, everything. And I thought for a moment. Well, I, I flitted through my mind uh, um, uh, the airmen who were on jankers, as they called. You see, I mean, if you didn't get back at a certain time, you were in trouble. And I thought, oh, I can't, no, no, it can't be the Lord. This can't be the Lord. So I was battling going on whilst the plate was making its invincible, inexorable journey up the road. And I thought, what shall I do? What and in the end, I thought, I, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. I took every penny I'd got down to the coppers and I put the whole lot in the plate. And I've never forgotten the joy that came into my heart. I just felt for the first time I'd hugged all the Slavic Christians, got buried in their beards, and given them a hug and a kiss. You know, as if something happened in my heart. And I remember that when I went back, only then I began to worry. What was it? Now, you see, I'm not the kind of person that hit, can hitch um, lifts, hitchhike. I mean, I know some do it so easily, but I, 
I don't know, I've just never been able to do it. The only time I've ever been able to do it, I have to turn my back and leave someone else to it. <laughs> only too thankful when something stops and we both get picked up. Two or three times in my life, I've had, I don't think I've ever waved at a vehicle. <laughs> I, I feel almost sort of, I would feel sort of strange doing it. <laughs> Perhaps it's a bondage, I don't know. But anyway, I, I, I just, um, I just couldn't, um, I couldn't do it. And um, I began to think of myself, oh my goodness. And then the people I was staying with, they were very, very um, hoity-toity. Uh, you know, very sort of uh, um, upper middle class, very, very, very nice, good, believing Christians, full of the Lord. But I mean, I thought they would be horrified if I asked them to take me out onto one of the main roads and just put me down. So like a lamb, when it came to go, I had my bag packed, I got into the car and went along to the station. I've never forgotten it. Because this dear man came into the ticket office with me and stood there and I thought, oh Lord, I'm going to make such a fool of myself. <laughs> and I went up to the ticket office, I didn't have a penny. I went up to the ticket office and I said, a single to London. And as I said it, this dear man just came across and he said, this is a gift for you. What do you think was in the gift? And he didn't just give it for the fair. That's a marvelous thing. I had ten times what I put in the plate. Of course, with my background, I became very interested in giving after that. <laughs> I saw the principle. <laughs> I saw a principle that is unchanging and unchangeable. It is here in this chapter we read together, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6, but this I say, he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. That is the principle. Now listen to these words of our Lord Jesus in Luke uh, chapter 6. They are amongst the most descriptive words that the Lord, who was highly descriptive in the language he used, ever used. Listen to these wonderful words. Verse 36. Be ye merciful even as your Father is merciful. Judge not and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not and ye shall not be condemned. Release and ye shall be released. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure. Pressed down shaken together, running over, shall they give into your bosom. Oh, what descriptive language. I was thinking the Lord could have said, give, and it shall be given unto you. But he didn't just say that. He said, give, and it shall be given unto you. And then he said, good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, into your bosom, what a marvelous thing. You get the picture of someone staggering <laughs> under something being given to them, don't you? 
Don't you really get the picture? I mean, I'm not just, I hope, just imagining this. It's surely there. Give! You give just a little. And then the Lord says, my. He gets the same measure. He shakes it. He presses it down. It's running over. And then he pours it into your bosom. The whole idea is one of such abundance, of such bounty. It, 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 it is a most wonderful picture, isn't it? The principle of giving is this. First you must receive. Then you must give what you receive. And if you give what you receive, it will be multiplied. Now please do not think of this just as a financial matter. It is a financial matter from one aspect. It includes that. But our Lord was underlining a principle. Give time and you'll have more time. Give health and God will take care of your health. May I just say something as an aside? Don't expect the Lord to miraculously and marvelously heal you. If you have kept a close hold on that body of yours all through the years. One of the most interesting things I find with people who have known healing is that when they've been healed, they've given themselves to God. As if they suddenly realize that the principle is this. When you give your help, when you give your energy, when you give your time, God gives back. This does not mean that you will never be tired. This does not mean that you will never be weary. This does not mean that you will never be broken. It does not mean that you will never be burdened. We, can, we see in the Apostle Paul a marvelous picture of this, of someone who gave and gave and gave and gave and yet speaks of much weariness, of much burden, of much sorrow, of much affliction and suffering. No, all that's in with it, but oh, how wonderful it is to learn the little secret of giving. Sometimes we feel, I can't give. If I give any more, I'll be dead. Now, I just wonder sometimes, when we get near to that place, firstly, are we really doing what God wants us to do? Sometimes we can be found doing something that we ought not to be doing. In which case, if we're not within the will of God, we cannot expect the Lord to underwrite it. On the other hand, let me say this, there comes a point in a servant of God's life where he feels, or she feels, that if they go on, they will be dead. It is the point of breakthrough they have reached. For once we see that it is the will of God, and that we must lay down our life. 
another life takes over. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over into your bosom. Of course, in the uh, book of Proverbs, we have uh, a little bit more about this. Um, uh, if I can find it. Um, uh, maybe I can't find it. But anyway, here we are, I've got it. Proverbs 11, here it is, listen to this, verse 24. Listen to it very carefully. There is that scattereth and increaseth yet more. Now what a paradox that is. Listen to it again. There is that scattereth and increaseth yet more. And there is that withholdeth more than is meat. And it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat. And he that watereth shall be watered also himself. Now, isn't that a wonderful word for the child of God, for the servant of the Lord? He that watereth shall be watered also himself. What a promise to stand upon if you're, as it were, watering dry ground, caring for others, giving without let or without any hold, holding back. Here is a promise. He that watereth shall himself be watered. Don't you think that's a wonderful word? I do. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. There is that withholdeth more than is meat and it tendeth to poverty. The parsimonious nature is something uh, that is not unknown uh, in Christian circles. It is a kind of, um, a, a kind of, if I may so put it without, I hope, being misunderstood, a kind of puritanical streak. Don't be extravagant. Don't be sort of overflowing. <clears throat> Waste not. Want not. When it comes to financial giving, the Lord's people are experts in this matter. They are certainly not going to waste. But the word of God says, there is the scatterer and yet increaseth. There is that withholdeth more than is meat and it tendeth only to poverty. I think if every one of us here got hold of this marvelous principle, and may I just say, for those of you who are younger in the Lord, you may never have heard us explain the difference between a law and a principle. Let me just explain what we mean. 
lest you get an idea that I've been giving you a kind of regulation. Now, a law is something that is static, it's man-made. In other words, we have a um, speed limit. Uh, this speed limit is a law. You must not go above 30 miles per hour or 40 miles per hour, whatever it is, miles per hour, in a certain area. Now, providing you have no conscience, and it is amazing some Christian motorists do not have any conscience. So, 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 so providing you have no conscience, providing you do not have an accident, and providing that there are no watchful policemen around, you can go at 60 miles per hour and get away with it. The heavens don't collapse. It's not as if a great blast on a whistle is sounded the moment you go 32 miles per hour in a 30 mile per hour area. The fact is, the Lord is there. There is even a thing up with 30 written on it. But you can go 70 miles per hour and still nothing happens. Now, I'm not saying you should. <laughs> I was saying to a brother the other day at this house party, I was just being at, who doing a good turn for a rather difficult sister. <laughs> He's married, by the way, so he wasn't interested in the sister. I mean, he was genuinely doing a good turn, rushed down to get her out take away Chinese meal and backed into somebody else's car. Now I wondered whether he'd been drinking. But he hadn't. And I said to him, you know, what kind of speed? Well, he said it was entirely my fault. I smashed up the lamp, buckled in whatever it was, two or three things, and made a tidy mess on this other person's car, and I paid for it, for the damage in the other car, on the spot. And I said to him, well, you know, in heaven, there is a convalescent home for guardian angels. <laughs> and they come in with the halo sort of obscure and <laughs> feathers sort of down and say, I've been watching over so-and-so's car today. <laughs> They will go above the speed limit. Well, all joking aside, the fact of the matter is we shouldn't really break the law. Okay? But the fact is, that is a man-made law. Now, a principle is of a different order. It is a natural law. In other words, a principle is like the principle of gravity, the law of gravity. In other words, if you go up on the roof here, next door, don't all take this to heart, but if you go next door, go upstairs, climb out of the bedroom window, and go along the roof, and then step off. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether all the policemen in Richmond are here or not. You will fall. Do you see the difference? One is a principle, and the other... Is a regulation. One is cause and effect. Now, the principle of giving is this, that having received from God, freely you receive, freely give. Having received from the Lord, you 
understand that you give what you receive. And as you give what you receive, you receive more. And as you give the more you receive, you will receive even more. And as you give the even more, you will receive even more. Now do you begin to understand it? I know some people call this the prosperity gospel. They believe that you can ask for a Rolls Royce and you get it. Or you can ask for something else. You get Well, I don't hold with that at all. But there is more than a little truth in this matter. That if we learn to give, we shall receive more than we give. Not always necessarily exactly what we give. You may give money, but you may receive back in blessings. Something that will saturate and overflow your parched being. You may give in energy and may receive in money. You may give in time and receive in revelation. But God is no man's debtor. The principle is that if you give, you receive. And you receive back more than you gave. It is, as we're told in Acts chapter 10 and verse 35, more blessed to give than to receive. There is a special blessing in giving. Now, let's just say a few things on the practical side of this. You see, we can all get to be very, very spiritual and very, very pious in this matter of giving. It can just simply be a matter of uh, sitting in a meeting and uh, singing a hymn and taking part in worship and um, coming to a prayer meeting and um, now and again uh, being a participant and we feel, well, I'm giving, I'm giving. This matter of giving, it is so intensely practical. How I wish we cared for one another much more than we do. Love sees things that indifference never picks up. Love can see tiredness in a person's face that needs some kind of help somewhere that they're not getting. Or some oppression that perhaps that person needs prayer or some ministry of some kind. If we only loved one another more, if we only considered one another more to provoke one another to love, what a difference it would make in fellowship. In this matter, sometimes just someone arriving, one of our sisters here, who's old and frail, to help them move things, or keep an eye on the electricity, or on anything going wrong, can be such a blessing. Oh, you say, no, isn't that just natural? Yes, it is natural. Unfortunately, sometimes the world shines far more than Christians in this matter. 
They are in and out of one another's homes, caring for one another, watching over things. The Christians don't. They're so busy, evidently, about the kingdom and about another world that they never bother. But if there is someone who, for some reason, has got some big problem, how can they really praise the Lord in the same way when they've got that nagging difficulty all the time? Do you see what I'm trying to say? I know when Mother, in these last years, and I couldn't be here, I know how many times Mother spoke of those who came and mowed the lawn or came in and out of the home and just kept their eye on practical things. That meant more to Mother than a thousand meetings. And I think that if she is in the kingdom, as I believe she is, it's more that than anything else that brought her there. How we need to care for one another. We can have our meetings and there can be somebody rotting. And nobody cares. Nobody takes notice. It sometimes can get into such a thing it becomes like a bondage. That nobody, everyone seems paralyzed. They don't seem to be able to move like normal human beings to just do something. And yet this is all giving. They first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us. Now it is a very interesting thing, this, about they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us, because in actual fact the giving was for another company of people altogether different to the us. <laughs> so there were three things in which these dear people gave. They gave first to the Lord, then to the servants of the Lord, and then to the church in need. Isn't that interesting? It's all very well, you know. I mean, I, I know something of this problem. And I'm not expecting anybody here to answer it either. But I know something of this problem where I am now. I am asked to write books. To, to, to write any number of books. But I can't do it. Unless there's somebody who can look after the phone and look after the thousand visitors we seem to have all the time, both unsaved and saved, how can I sit down? Have you ever tried to write a book with the phone ringing and people coming in and out and all kinds of things happening and then all the normal um, catastrophes, emergencies, problems and all the rest that are part and parcel of our life? <laughs> plus two parrots and <laughs> two cats. Uh, they can look after themselves. But it is impossible. Now, if someone were to say to me um, from our community in Jerusalem, I'm going to do this and this and this and this is going to be my gift to God. And they released me to write. If there was anything of glory in that writing... And any reward to come, surely that person who stepped in and gave themselves and was never known by name will receive part of the reward. It comes into the matter of those that stand by the baggage and those that go out in the battle receiving the spoil. Now I say this 
to me is intensely practical. The Apostle Paul went round preaching everywhere and he spoke of poor Mark, who I don't think liked it very much. He said, he's useful for service to me. I thought, well, goodness, that's a big-headed remark to make. Poor boy, I wonder what he thought when he read there. He's useful to serve. Maybe John Mark had bigger ideas. Running round, doing errands, doing this, doing that, doing the other, while the old man sits there dictating letters. <laughs> Don't forget John Mark, I mean, when he first ran off, may have thought, all oh, this thing, why isn't he more practical? Why doesn't he train me more? Help me. There he is dictating to that empty-headed scribe. And he's going on about how I pray for you. That God would grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of his son. But I don't suppose the letters would have been written if it hadn't been for Dr. Luke. Who I take it not only shared in all Paul's privations but cared for him physically. And for Mark who served him. And for these, some of these younger brethren like Titus and Tychicus and others who were with him. We all have a big man in us screaming to get out of a small man. You know what I mean? Every one of us has got something inside that wants to be fulfilled, that wants to get some glory, that wants to get somewhere. Giving is the opposite to this. It demands that you fall into the ground and die and leave God to, the, to do the elevating. God will lift you. Now I say that it is impossible to give like that without living faith. Because when you've got something, you can't let it go. Because all the time you have the fear, if I let it go, that's the end of it. Here I have 20 pounds. Shall I give it? If I give it, will I ever see it back? If I could be sure that tomorrow God will give me a hundred, right. But give the 20. But there is always an element of doubt, is there not, in giving? If I give time, will I not be worn out? If I give my energy, will they not trample all over me and take me for granted? If I really give myself to the church, will they not just somehow take me for granted? There's all of that. But death is death. There is nothing beautiful about death. To finally die is to let go of all one's own desire to be something, to be somebody, to get somewhere in a kind of big-headed, self-centered manner, to let go of the whole thing. If they want to walk over me, let them walk over me. If they want to despise me, let them despise me. If they want to take me for granted, let them take me for granted. I will serve the Lord. And God, or bring me out of this in his own good time and God 
always does. Joseph went down into Pharaoh's dungeon for being righteous. If he'd only compromised, he wouldn't have gone into the dungeon. But he wouldn't compromise. So he went into the dungeon. And what happened to him? He went down and down and down. And at one point it looked as if he was going to get out because he said to the man, don't forget to tell the Pharaoh about me. But the man forgot. And he went down and down till the iron entered <coughs> into his soul. And then when God had done his work in Joseph, he lifted him up and made him the supreme ruler practically of the whole Egyptian empire. Daniel was just the same. He went down and down. I don't know what it did to that young man, Daniel, when first, as far as we know, he was made a eunuch and then put into the king's employ and then put into compromising circumstances where he could have lost his life by refusing to compromise. But he refused to compromise. He would not touch anything that was not kosher. Apparently, he went down and down. But in the end, God took him and lifted him up and up and up till he became one of the three supreme of the, the supreme committee that governed the whole nation and finally the supreme leader of the three in the greatest empire the world to that date had ever seen. So it is with God in this matter of giving. Now when I come back to it again on this matter of the practical nature, oh, that we could care. Ron said something about the garden. Many people will think, oh, what's that garden got to do? I tell you what it's got to do with it. We have a whole lot of neighbors all the way around who watch and watch and watch and watch. And we can pray a thousand prayers for them. Oh, Lord, save them. But when they see the whole garden becoming just a wild jungle, what do they say? What's happened to Halford House, they say? What's gone wrong with them all down there? Oh, didn't you know that leader, that queer fellow, he's gone. Oh, they'll put it all down to human personality. Now, there may be something of human personality in some things. There's no doubt about that. I, have, I, I can't believe that there couldn't be. But what a testimony there can be when we not only do things, but somehow break out to reach the neighbors and so on. And the prayers of years could, in the most wonderful way, fructify. They could become, they could end in salvation. Simple little ways, simple little manner in which we can help one another. When it comes to money, people often ask me on the question of money, let me just say a few things practically and then I'll end with one final exhortation to you. Um, on the matter of money, people say, should we tithe? This is an old one. And my answer is always the same. The Bible says that you don't give according to what you haven't got. You give according 
to what you have. Then you say, but you haven't answered me. Should I die? Well, I will answer you this way. In the old covenant, you had to tithe. But may I just make one little point about that tithing? All the 10% of all the firstlings, of all the first fruits, it wasn't just a matter of money. It was a question of grain, of olive, of fruit, of animals, everything. 10% was put on one side and given to the Lord. And that kept the Levites and priests alive. What then built the tabernacle and temple? Free will offering. Well, then you say, just wait, you still haven't answered us. Should we tithe? Well, my answer is this. <laughs> Boldly. Straightly. If under the old covenant the people of God had to tithe, I think it's a pretty poor show if under the new covenant we give less than the, than the tithe. In actual fact, what your money all belongs to God and he has a right to tell you what to do with it. And you should do what he tells you to do. And you will notice in those, mar those two marvelous chapters, 8 and 9, that the Lord says quite a lot about this matter. He says he looks on the heart. He sees the readiness that's in the heart. If a man hasn't got it to give, then God sees what he does give in relation to the little that he has. You remember that little widow that came to the temple on that day? What an amazing story it is. There was Jesus in the temple, in the court of the women, just before the sanctuary, where the great treasury was, where the great 15 steps up into the temple were, upon which the Levitical choir sang on festival days and high days, the great psalms of ascent. And he sat there and he watched. And there came very important people, beautifully clothed, and they flung in something into the treasury. And there came others, perhaps not so beautifully clothed, and they flung in something into the treasury. And then there came a little widow. Now, what could a mite buy? I should have bought you a mite. I've got two or three of them. Um, so small that if you put them on the fingernail your, of your small finger, it would cover but a third of it. Two sparrows. And what will the Lord God do with the value of two sparrows? Will that keep the oil in the great lampstand burning for a minute? Will it provide bread for the showbread table? Will it provide anything for anything for more than a fraction of a moment? So why doesn't she keep her too much? It was her whole living. She threw in the whole living she had.
that day without knowing it. That little widow was the justification for the Jewish people. In days of formalism and days of outward religion, of hypocrisy, of ritualism, she redeemed them in the eyes of God. Jesus said, she has cast in more than them all. All think of it. I mean, if you're, if you're any good at business, and I'm not, or figures, and I am not, can you imagine working out all the money that was in that treasury, all that would be, and all that it would keep going, in the worship of God and the work of God, and then hear the verdict of the Lord Jesus, this little widow with two mites that will buy a couple of sparrows has put in more than them all. There can be only one explanation. God had got her. Now, I don't know if the Lord's got you. I know Christians who have been 20, 40 years, 20, 30, 40 years on the way. God hasn't got them. They give service, not very, always very dependable. You can't rely on them. One day they're here, one day they're not. Their homes are not places where the Lord ministers. Their possessions are not things that are used in the purposes of God. I don't know where you are. I only know the Lord loves you and the Lord wants you. And he wants to get you first and foremost. And then he wants to get you to the place where you will freely give what you have freely received. Now only you know where you are. Sometimes people are looking for some great experience of the Lord, some great experience of the Holy Spirit. I would never devalue such a longing. I think the more experiences the people of God have of the Lord or of the Holy Spirit, the more the better it will be for the work of God. But having said that, do you think you could be looking in the wrong place? Do you think you're looking for some great meeting where suddenly the great challenge comes and you go forward and a great sort of powerful something comes upon you and you will be a different person and you will suddenly be able to serve the Lord? Do you think maybe what God is saying to you is you're not a giver? And because you're not a giver, you've missed the point. Now, please bear in mind what I've said about giving. The totality of it. God doesn't want you to step up your gift. God wants you. God wants to get you in a new way. 
so that your home, your possessions, your time, your energy, your gifts, your everything is to do with exactly as he will. Maybe some of you will break through the spiritual sound barrier in the day that you see this and take a step of faith and yield to God. Maybe there will come upon you the Holy Spirit in power and anointing in the day that you say by faith, I fall into the ground and die here on this spot. Sometimes we think that if we could get a thousand miles away, we could fall into the ground and die. But where the wheat grow, grew, there it must fall into the ground and die. May God help you, and may he help me, so that in these few days in which we have left to us, we may be prepared by the Holy Spirit for what is coming upon the face of the earth. This matter of giving is so near to the heart of God that I have no doubt about it, not a shred of doubt in my mind or heart, that for all of us, it could be a life changer. Shall we pray? Now let's just be a moment of quietness. For if God has spoken in any way to you through this day, let's not lose it. Let's just be quiet before him. And let him confirm whatever he said in our hearts. That we may not escape from it. Dear Lord, Thou knowest every heart here. Thou knowest, Lord, just how much we've been challenged, whether we're very young in age or old in age, whether we're young in the Lord or old in Thee. Lord, Thou knowest if somehow we've been challenged. Now, Lord, we pray, don't let us escape. Help us to obey. Father, we pray that Thou wilt Cause the Holy Spirit to fall upon us all. Oh, in a way that will just be so deep, so full, so powerful, that will swallow up all our weaknesses and failings, all the bondages and fears, and somehow bring us to the place where the beauty of the Lord our God is upon us. Do it, Lord, we pray. Every one of us has some area in which perhaps thou hast challenged us. We pray that thou wouldst deeply, Lord, work in our hearts so that out of this day there comes a new spirit and a new response, first to thyself. And then, Lord, to those responsible for thy work. 
and then to the church, which is the body of our Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. May you give to others what you have received. May you know the deep, deep love of Jesus. Thank you.